Hey guys, it's me, Overreactor. Um, some of you may have heard my little tiny episode that I published last night, um, at like midnight, where I was like, oh my goodness, I am screwing this whole thing up. I somehow made the audio go like mega fast like a chipmunk and I didn't know how to fix it after I had published it and I was like I gotta go to bed whatever so I came back to revisit it and I'm looking in the program Adobe Audition that's what I used to edit the audio and it sounded fine and then I realized I'm such a cuckoo head that I think I had my playback speed in my app my podcast app I think I had it set to like double time So that was a user error on my part. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm going to get it together, I promise. Um, But this is official timeout where we discuss the rules of roller derby. And today's episode will be section 2.3, engagement zone and pack. And other than me saying whoopsie, technology um, outsmarts me sometimes. There's really no more major announcements. So let's just go ahead and get started. Section 2.3, the engagement zone and pack. Here we go. The pack is the largest group of inbounds and upright blockers in proximity and containing members from both teams. If no single group of blockers meets this definition, there is no pack, even if there are multiple groups of the same size. Proximity is defined as not more than 10 feet or 3.05 meters as measured from the hips in front of or behind the nearest pack skater. When a skater is penalized, they are considered to no longer be on the track for the purposes of pack definition and relative position determinations. It is the responsibility of all blockers to maintain a pack and intentionally destroying the pack is illegal. When the pack is moving counterclockwise or stopped during a jam, clockwise skating, which destroys the pack, is illegal. All blockers from both teams must act to reform a pack. For skaters in the rear group, this includes stepping or skating in the counterclockwise direction. For skaters in the front group, this includes coasting, braking, or coming to a complete stop. If an immediate action is not sufficient to reform the pack, additional effort is required. If a blocker is in the rear group, they must accelerate until sprinting toward the front group until a pack is reformed. Coasting, stepping slowly, or stepping in an only somewhat counterclockwise direction are insufficient, but they may slow in order to avoid unsafe contact when the pack reformation is imminent. If a blocker is in the front group, they must actively break until they come to a complete stop. Coasting is insufficient. They are not required to skate clockwise. You guys, if there is no pack, derby cannot happen. Like, all the blockers are responsible for maintaining that pack. So, don't be all like loosey-goosey about getting back to reforming a pack like you've got to make haste and 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 full speed pronto all the time stop fast or sprint fast get back in the pack make it happen
blocks on or by blockers which have impact while there is no pack should be immediately penalized. The engagement zone is the area in which it is legal for blockers to engage or be engaged. The engagement zone extends forward and backward 20 feet or 6.10 meters from the foremost and rearmost pack skaters respectively. Any blocker outside of the engagement zone is out of play and cannot engage or be engaged. That sounds like my romantic life. Ugh. <laughs> blockers who are outside of the engagement zone will be warned and will be penalized if they do not immediately attempt to return to the engagement zone. Blockers ahead of the engagement zone are only compelled to skate clockwise to return to the engagement zone if the pack is stopped or moving clockwise. Skaters who are illegally blocked while out of play may legally counterblock. Distances for determining the pack and engagement zone are measured as the shortest distance parallel to the inside track boundary between skaters' hips. Let's go to the casebook scenario and see if there are situations about section 2.3, engagement zone and pack. What do you know? There sure are. Let's see. 2.3, engagement zone and pack, it restates the rule that the pack is the largest group of inbounds and upright blockers in proximity and containing members from both teams. The engagement zone is the area in which it is legal for blockers to engage or be engaged. So scenario C2 points three point A. Okay, so these casebook scenarios have images associated with them and I will post these on my Instagram because you may, if you're like me, you may need to actually see it in order to understand it. But for the podcasting purpose, I'm going to do my best to describe how everything is set up. So in C2 point three point A, red pivot is on the pivot line, touching the pivot line. Then we have red blockers one, two, and three lined up behind the pivot line in a row, like from the inside track boundary up toward the outside track boundary. So then one would be closest to the inside and three is closest to the outside. Now, white one is directly behind red one and white star white star, white jammer (laughs) is directly behind blocker number two. So red blocker one blocks white blocker one out of bounds. So they're the ones closest to the inside track boundary line and red one blocks white one out of bounds. The outcome is no pack. There is no penalty though. White blocker one must return inbounds to reform the pack as soon as they legally can do so. And red blocker one must skate counterclockwise to allow white blocker one to do so. The rationale is because there were no other white blockers within 10 feet of any red blockers, no pack could be defined. All blockers must work together to allow a pack to reform as quickly as possible. Okay, so I'm just going to break this one down a little bit. So we had the red pivot and all three red blockers right there around the pivot line. And the only white team members were white one and white jammer. Now remember, the jammer is not considered for pack definition. They're the ones that score the points. The blockers are the ones who are responsible to maintain pack definition. So when red one blocks white one out of bounds, there are no white blockers available to create a pack because you have to have members from both teams, blockers from both teams within proximity to each other. And since all 
four of red's blockers were here, we can assume that the other three white blockers are either in the penalty box or outside of the engagement zone or maybe in the engagement zone, but more than 10 feet ahead or behind of the pack that's right here. So with one being out of bounds, white one, there's no pack. Oftentimes in in gameplay, when a skater knocks another skater out of bounds, you'll see the, the skater inbounds skating clockwise to pull the out of bounds skater back. And this is so that that skater returns legally because as you'll see later, they must return, you know, behind the person who knocked them out or anyone who had a superior position on them at the time they went out of bounds. But in this situation, and this is important to remember, if you are the one who blocks someone out of bounds by skating clockwise to draw that skater back, you are not doing your part to allow that skater to return to play immediately to reform the pack. So if you only have one opposing blocker, you need to let them back on the track as soon as possible. And you must skate counterclockwise if necessary in order to allow that blocker in at the soonest possible moment. Okay. Okay. Moving on to scenario C2.3 point B. In this picture, we have near the pivot line, we have the pivot and red blockers one, two, and three lined up across the entire track with pivot being at the inside boundary line. And then one, two, three, kind of like stacked along all the way up to the outside line. So they're covering the entire uh, width of the inbounds portion of the track. Then we have white pivot at the 10 foot mark behind the pivot line. The red jammer is at the next 10 foot mark behind white pivot and white blocker number two is kind of in between the white pivot and the red jammer. All right. So the red wall skates forward slowly while the white blockers stand still. The outcome, no pack is declared and there is no penalty. So this red wall is like at the pivot line, but not on the pivot line. They are like right before it, like right behind the pivot line. But because the white pivot is at the 10 foot mark, once they get right past that pivot line, now they are more than 10 feet away. Because you'll see the little like lines around the track and that's to indicate where 10 feet are. So there is no pack declared and there is no penalty. The reason, rationale, the red blockers slow skating provided the opportunity for white pivot to maintain a pack so the red blockers should not be penalized. White pivot is not required to maintain the pack but is required to work to reform a pack if there is no pack. Also, white pivot is prohibited from making sudden movements that can destroy the pack. Keep in mind, if instead of moving forward, the red blockers stayed still while white pivot skated backward or took a knee, the white pivot should be penalized. Roller derby is played in the counterclockwise direction, so clockwise movement is held to a different standard than counterclockwise movement, and taking a knee is always a sudden action. Subtle movements, such as shifting one's weight while standing, should not be considered sudden actions. Oh boy, this is going to be a doozy to explain. (laughs) Oh my goodness, you guys. Now we're at scenario C2.3.C and I'm going to need just a minute to unpack this so I can be really clear in how I describe it to you just in case you are driving or doing something where you can't access this image. The best way for me to describe it at this moment is imagine you just took a bunch of marbles and threw them on the ground. (laughs) And I want to give you a better description than that. So let's take a break and I'll be back in just a minute. Okay, I am back and... 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my very best (laughs) to just tell you what is on this image and really hope that you can visualize it and that you can go back and look at this image on my Instagram. I will post it um, the morning of let me see what's today. Today is May 12th, so I'll post it tomorrow morning, which is May 13th, 2019, and just check that out if this seems confusing. I feel like I'm just like working this up to be a nightmare, and it's not. It's really not. Okay, so we have two teams. One is red, and one is white. Imagine the track of roller derby, and imagine it from the jammer line all the way around the first curve, and until not quite all the way around to like what would be in line with the pivot line on the opposite side of where the jammer line is. So think of it like it's a candy cane turned on its side that is um, the and the curve comes around like toward the left, like the left side is what has the curve. All right. On this candy cane, we've got some stripes, and each stripe is 10 feet apart. And that's where those little, you know, marks are along the track. I am going to describe where each player is starting from what is closest to the jammer line. So we're going to start where the jammer line is and move up and around the track, around curve one, you know, past the pivot line, around curve one, and that's the direction I'm going as I describe it. Okay, so in this scenario, all players are on the track. No, in this scenario, there are one, two, three, four red blockers, one of which is a pivot, and one, two, three, four four white blockers, one of which is a pivot, and both jammers are on the track. So everybody is involved. We're all here for the party. Starting closest to the jammer line is red jammer is in about the center of the track, and it looks like this jammer is about 10, 20 feet behind the pivot line. So just right in front of the jammer line, okay? Just in front of or just ahead of red jammer, is white blocker number two. Then at the next line up, still behind the pivot line, but just a little bit ahead of white blocker two, is white blocker one toward the inside boundary of the track. Then 10 feet ahead of white blocker one, we have red blocker two. Just about 10 feet in front of red blocker two, we have white pivot, who is just a little bit behind the pivot line. Moving ahead, we have red blocker number three, who is at the curve and slightly ahead of the 10-foot line. That's the first line of the curve. Then at the next 10-foot line is white blocker number three and white jammer. White jammer is just a little bit behind white blocker number three. Moving ahead to the next 10-foot mark is red blocker number one and about... I would say about five feet, you know, about halfway in front of that line. Now we have red pivot. So everybody is really spread out across this candy cane of a track. Here's what it says. In the above image, red three and white pivot are more than 10 feet apart, as are red one and white three. Accordingly, the pack is comprised of white pivot, red number two, and white number one, and white number two. Red number one and red pivot are out of play. So in this scenario, the pack would be uh, toward the rear of where everything is, like in the, toward the pivot line, like all, I mean, yeah, around the pivot line, behind the pivot line, that's where the pack would be in this one. The pack would be comprised of the following skaters if the following blockers fell down. 
And remember, the jammers are not taken into account for pack definition. If white number two falls down, and this white number two is the one that's closest to the jammer line, the one that's most behind on the track, if white number two falls down, the pack would be white number one, red number two, and white pivot, who are all within 10 feet of each other just behind the pivot line. And it's because white pivot is near the pivot line, red number two is about 10 feet behind, and then behind that about 10 feet is white number one. So that would be the pack if white number two fell down. If white number one falls down, there would be no pack. Red number three and white number three could be a pack of two, but so could white pivot and red number two. So White one goes down and we have white pivot and red two right there behind the pivot line within 10 feet of each other. But then ahead of the pivot line, we have white number three and red number three who are also within 10 feet of each other. There cannot be two packs. Both of these situations have an equal number of skaters of blockers from both teams. So there cannot be a pack. Now, let's say instead of that, red two falls. The pack would be white three and red three. Because now if if red two is taken out, then the white blockers toward the rear, like where the pivot line is, they cannot be a pack because they are of the same team. So then the red number three and white number three would be the pack. And that's the one around the curve. If the white pivot falls, and this is the one near the pivot line, then white one, white two, and red two would be the pack. And that, and those would be the skaters that are toward the rear of all of this commotion. If red three or anybody ahead of them falls, the pack does not change. Because as it is right now, the pack is comprised of white pivot, red two, white one, and white two, with red one and red pivot out of play. Okay, this one was really tricky, but I think having the visual would help out a lot. In fact, I am 99% certain that I have a casebook scenario video that has these moving and playing around. So let me see if I can find that one for the Instagram. And in case I didn't say it earlier, and if you're not sure, it's ovary underscore actor on Instagram. Phew. Okay. So that was a whole, a whole scenario. And that was the trickiest one I've, I've described so far. That is the final scenario for section 2.3. So now let's go back to the rule book and discuss section 2.4, blocks and assists. Blocking refers to any physical contact made to an opponent and to any movement or placement of one's body to impede said opponent's speed or movement during a jam, whether or not contact is made. Counter blocking is any movement towards an oncoming blocker by the receiving skater. Counter blocking is blocking. Actions that meet the above description are considered blocking even if accidental. Contact made to teammates is not considered blocking even if it is a disadvantage to the initiator or the teammate. All contact between opponents has an initiator, though it is possible for two or more skaters to mutually initiate blocks against one another. Skaters may not block or assist while out of bounds, out of play, down, stopped, or moving clockwise. Skaters may also not initiate a block on an opponent who is down, out of play, or fully out of bounds. Skaters may, however, initiate a block or assist on someone who is straddling, stopped, or moving in any direction, even clockwise. Skaters may not assist a teammate who is out of play or fully out of bounds. However, 
they may assist a downed teammate to return them to an upright position. Which, I think that's really great that they specify that because, for real, if your teammate has fallen and is like, oh gosh, I need some help getting up, like, good for you for helping your teammate get up if you have that moment to do so. I mean, I know it's a full contact sport and and people are like, oh yeah, be so aggressive, but like, people are really nice too. Like, okay, side note, once I was, um, I was jam refing about and... Side note to the side note, sometimes I say game and sometimes I say bout and I don't know if there's like a big like debate on which one is right. I don't really care. I think we all know they mean the same thing. So yeah, so anyway, so I'm refing this bout and I'm a jam ref and my jammer that I'm following wears glasses and she gets hit in such a way that it was it was a legal hit so there was no penalty warranted but it was contact in such a way that caused her glasses to just fly off her face and onto the track and I kid you not the other team like stopped what they were doing and picked up her glasses and gave it back to her and they said something along the lines of we don't want to play you if you can't see like we want this to be fair or you know this is it wouldn't be fair for you not to have your glasses and we don't want to ruin them and it and it just took that one moment but I really do admire how considerate the skaters are because it is aggressive but I mean we're, we're people right like like it's fun to have good sportsmanship okay that is the overreactor um, PSA for the day. So we get into things called target zones and blocking zones. And I did go over this a bit in the glossary about how tricky it was for me at first, but this will help you out. And if you've seen on my Instagram, I did start like this animation that will show blocking and target zones that um, I'll post it whenever I get it up and finished and all that good stuff. So first we're going to talk about target zones, which is section 2.4.1, target zone. It is only legal to initiate a block to an opponent's chest, front and sides of the torso, arms, hands, hips, and the front and sides of the legs above mid-thigh. And there is figure 2.2, legal target zones associated with this. Basically, it's everything on the front below the neck and above the knee pads. And on the back, everything on the sides above the knee pads and below the neck, but nothing in the center of the back or buttock area. Okay, no heads, no knees, no feet, shoulders are good. Here are the blocking zones. This is section 2.4.2, blocking zone. It is only legal to initiate a block using one's torso, arms above the elbow, and legs above mid-thigh. And that would be figure 2.3 in the rule book. So the difference between target zone and blocking zone is that you can hit your opponent on their lower arm below the elbow pad. Like all of the arm, front and back, is fine to hit your opponent there or to initiate a block to your opponent there. But you are not allowed to use anything below your elbow guard, like including your elbow guard and below, to initiate a block. Well, okay, it kind of looks like the upper half of the elbow pad is legal because that would be considered the upper part, but you can't use the elbow itself. Like, that just seems really dangerous. And then you are also allowed to use your own back and buttock area to initiate a block. So there's a few little differences, and that's what they are. So we are going to look at the casebook scenario. But guess what? 
Section 2.4, blocks and assists, does not have any scenarios. Phew, I mean, thank goodness, because after that last one in 2.3, casebook scenario C, 2.3.C, that is a really tricky one to explain without a visual. I'm not even lying to you. But if you understood it, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> and actually, I'm really proud of myself if you understood it, because that means I communi uh, communicated it. <laughs> it means I communicated it clearly and properly. And uh, yeah. So, okay. This, for me, is a good place to stop for this week's episode. And next week, we will pick back up in section 2.5 and talk about passing and then just go on from there and see how far we get. You can find me on Instagram, ovary underscore actor. Also, I did start up a Facebook page because I felt like that would be a thing to do. But I, I mostly just, when I share something on Instagram, click the button that says send it to Facebook. And the crazy thing about it is apparently on Facebook, you're not allowed to name things official something or other. So it would not let me name it Roller Derby Official Timeout. So I had to name it Roller Derby OT with Overreactor. Or I might have been silly and done Roller Derby OT with OA. But then I think I said Overreactor because I didn't want people to get confused with that Netflix show so it's one of those, you guys. I mean, find it or don't find it or whatever. I don't know. It's it's been a it's been a long day. <laughs> um, you can email me at o v a r y a c t o r at gmail.com. Do what you do, love what you love, and skate where you skate, and know the rules, and have a good day. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye bye.